Thank you, Jennifer and Noah. Um, I appreciate the songs this morning and how many uh, scripture references are woven throughout those songs. I heard, I heard Job in there. I heard Psalms in there. I heard Revelation, and I'm sure uh, I missed uh, several references. Uh, so thank you for leading us this morning. Uh, this time, the kids are dismissed to their program. I I failed to mention earlier. Uh, just a, a welcome to all those who are visiting this morning. Uh, several visitors. We even had some people drop in from uh, Israel and uh, and lots from the valley to and from uh, Vegas to cool off and and then uh, I, I'm I'm happy that the locals got out of bed and showed up as well. That's always always very very special. Um, speaking of people traveling far, have you ever been uh, traveling and felt really out of your comfort zone? Uh, I was pondering that this week. We talked about that in our in our small groups uh, discussions this morning, and uh, something Tom said. He was out of the country so long that he felt uh, uncomfortable when he came back, or at least it was you know some unique things um, after spending some time in Kenya. Well, I was pondering this question this week of of being out of my comfort zone, and I was pondering this right before lunch. And so all I could think of was these different meals I've had in different kind of international uh, settings uh, here and abroad. I was thinking about um, Maria's pozole. Uh, you remember that down in, in uh, La Presa? That's just delicious. And this Lebanese feast that uh, Heather and I had in Australia, of all places. You go to Australia to get uh, Lebanese food. Uh, St. Peter's Fish with, with our tour guide Ronan's family in Israel. That was, that was a fun international meal. Uh, as a kid, we had this big Egyptian feast that uh, Muhammad and his wife fixed us that were uh, co-workers of, of my dad. Uh, I think that might have been my introduction to baklava, which uh, no complaints there. Um, souflache in uh, Albania and on and on. Well, those are all delicious. Some were more out of my comfort zone. Um, I thought of this Laotian picnic I went to, and we had uh, this cow stomach salad, which I've never put those things together and it was, was out of my comfort zone. Or this Filipino engagement banquet I went to. Uh, I love some Filipino food, especially those little uh, meat pastry things. But uh, others, these, these spongy rolls and, and the whole fish looking at me, those were out of my comfort zone at that, at that time. But the thing that, that uh, stuck in my mind because it was a little more recent was riding bikes with a friend of mine down in Mexico. And uh, he's from Mexico. And uh, we went on this 50-mile bike ride, and he says, what you have to do is go to this little taco stand, except it wasn't tacos, um, in, in Ensenada. And we had to get, uh, I think you say, cocktail de mariscos. And uh, basically, it's a big gulp cup filled with raw uh, sea critters, you know, like clams and shrimp and, and uh, you know, snails, scallops, uh, squid. And, uh, and, it, and it's cold, you drink it cold. And some, some of you, that might be delicious. In fact, uh, when I rethought about it, I actually started getting hungry for it. But at the time, it was not how I wanted to finish off that ride. It was really out of my comfort zone. Maybe you've been there too. Is anybody getting hungry right now looking at that? Yeah, some of you. Some of you, that's right where you're at. Sometimes certain kinds of people uh, make us uncomfortable. Sometimes visiting certain places, whether it's uh, internationally or a certain part of town, makes us uncomfortable. We're in those places or with those people in their presence and we feel maybe nervous, maybe annoyed, maybe skeptical, 
maybe sometimes even disdain for the people that were around. Into that kind of uh, scenario, uh, Mark speaks to us, or really Jesus speaks to us. And our big idea this morning from the book of Mark is that Jesus' compassion and his power, they, they know no boundary. When you follow Jesus, sometimes he takes you to places and, and lets you encounter people that make uh, you uncomfortable. <laughs> Jesus seems to love to do that. Uh, here's the setting. Last week we were looking at Mark 7, uh, the first uh, 23 verses of that, where Jesus challenged this concept of purity. It really brought it back to, well, it's, a, it's really a heart issue that God is looking at. Uh, Mark says that Jesus declared all foods clean. And this opened up the way for Jew-Gentile meals together and and fellowship. It it opened up the way to break down some of those cultural barriers. And now immediately from there, Jesus goes and practices what he just preached. Uh, In this passage today, we'll see three different miracles he does. He does an exorcism, he does a healing, he does a nature miracle. All things we've seen in Mark already, but this time he does them all in a Gentile setting. We'll see three lessons in these miracles about Jesus' boundaryless compassion and his power. Very powerful. So we'll be in the book of Mark, continuing our series on Jesus, not what you think. Really getting to know uh, how the Bible presents Jesus, how the gospel writers, in particular Mark, how he presents Jesus. So we'll be in uh, the end of chapter 7 and into the first part of chapter 8 this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you um, or a device with a Bible on it, uh, there's some uh, Bibles in the pew in front of you, and this is on page 843. Starting in verse 24, it starts out like this. And from there, he, that's Jesus, he rose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. It seems that Mark is making this real emphasis on, uh, on Jesus going out further beyond. It, all these words, from there, so he's no longer here. Uh, he arose, he got up, he went away. Uh, he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. All, all these phrases, like he's going somewhere. That word region, really it means a boundaried area or a border, like a, like a geopolitical border. He went across the border into the area of Tyre and Sidon. He went on this excursion apparently to get away with his disciples, but instead he has this interaction. And in this interaction he had, it reveals to us, first of all, Jesus, he crosses boundaries (laughs) to draw out faith in the very people that we might have doubts about. If you're following along in the the bulletin outline, uh, for those of you who like to fill in blanks, I got some blanks for you today. So first of all, Jesus crosses boundaries to draw out faith in those we doubt. So he crosses the border into Tyre, Sidon area, and who does he meet? Verse 25. Immediately, we've learned that Mark loves that word. Immediately, a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now that woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Mark uh, intentionally gives us some details about this lady he meets uh, so we understand the impact of what Jesus was doing. Um, 
uh, kind of an expert on the book of Mark, R.T. France, he says, few had so much against them from an Orthodox Jewish point of view. Uh, all, all kinds of problems. First, you know, for, for a Jewish rabbi just to be chit-chatting with a woman, that's kind of a problem already. And then uh, she had this demon-possessed daughter at home, so there's kind of this evil presence at home. She was a Gentile. She was Syrian-born. She was a resident of Tyre. Uh, I was just talking about uh, Josephus with my mother-in-law, I think, yesterday, right? And she asked me if I read Josephus. I'm like, well, not all of it, but, but he makes this comment about the people from Tyre. They were notoriously the bitterest enemies of the Jews. So you're kind of getting this picture here. These are, uh, this woman had all these things going against her um, from an Orthodox Jewish point of view. The disciples we have seen throughout the book have been learning that Jesus is compassionate and he's powerful. He does care and he can help. We've seen that over and over again as he demonstrates compassion and power. But the question here is, uh, but, but her? <laughs> She's the wrong ethnicity. She's the wrong side of the border. She uh, lives across the tracks. Um, Does she deserve what Jesus has to offer? Will she even want what Jesus has to offer? Well, Jesus' response, uh, it actually at first looks like he's also rejecting her. It's this really kind of interesting dialogue. But we see as we read the whole thing that he's drawing out the faith from this woman. So notice verse 27. Jesus says to her, sounds really curious at first, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, this bread, it's the, you might say it's the spiritual blessings, you know, the, the blessings of the Messiah being there, what he has to offer, um, the, the goodness and the good news of, of Christ. You're not just going to throw that. It, it's for the children, the, the, the Jews, Jesus' own people. You're not going to throw it to the dogs, the Gentiles, like most of us in this room. Interesting. The word dogs here, it's only twice in the New Testament, and it's just two different gospel accounts of this same story, and it's like a, a diminutive, like doggies, like puppies. Um, most commentators feel it's probably kind of like house pets or, or like, you know, little, little dogs. A really different connotation than all the times it uses dog more like scavenger dogs and, you know, wild dogs. These are like, you know, how many of you have a little dog at home? Everybody but me. No, no, I, didn't, I only saw a few people say that. Uh, the little, little doggies, it's, you, you, don't give, you don't give the kids food to the, to the puppies under the table. And he says uh, not just that they don't get it, but, but that they're not fed first. Interesting, Romans 116, uh, we've looked at this verse recently, talking about the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But there was this order to it, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. So we have kind of this family uh, dinner uh, imagery here. So the idea is you don't uh, prepare a meal for the family and then walk out and just immediately put it under the table for the, for the dogs. That, that's like just not how, well, that's not how it works in my house. But um, so Jesus, you know, gives this, uh, this illustration. And uh, is her response anger? No. Uh, is it despair? No. So about, maybe it's the expression on his face or the tone in his voice. Uh, she, 
she just entered into that with Jesus. And she answers like this in verse 28. Uh, yes, Lord, yet even the little doggies <laughs> under the table, they eat the children's crumbs. They, don't they get a little bit of the meal even at the same time? At uh, some homes, there's a lot more crumbs that fall under the table than others. My family, there were six kids, a lot of crumbs, especially under some tables. Um, some some uh, peas, cooked peas, those often ended up on the, on the ground. But um, so the way that Jesus engaged her, it drew the faith out of her. Uh, did she deserve what Jesus had to offer? Well, no more than the disciples did. No less than the disciples did. Did she want what Jesus has to offer? Yes, she came and and begged for it. And Jesus was all too eager to grant it. Verse 29, he says to her, for this statement, the, the faith that was evidenced in her statement, for this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. Really incredible. Um, everything about this world, about this woman would make the disciples doubt her, feel skeptical, like, ah, I don't know, should we even be talking with her? This is kind of out of my comfort zone. But Jesus instead drew out her faith and then rewarded that faith by doing a great thing in her life. So have anybody, has anyone seen on Instructables how you can make um, the endless dog feeder, pet feeder? Have you, have you seen these? You can make it with a PVC pipe. You just fill it with food, and, um, and you, know, like you can go on vacation, I don't know, maybe indefinitely, and the dog is just fine. Um, I, I don't know exactly how that works. But, um, but picture that tube going all the way to heaven, just full, just all the way. And uh, then picture this yappy little dog guarding that food. Like, no, you can't have any. And just, you know, barking and chewing on ankles of other dogs that try to get some of that food. Well, there's enough food in that tube for white dogs and black dogs and every shade of brown dog. There's enough food for purebred dogs and mixed-breed dogs and unknown-breed dogs, for well-groomed show dogs with little diamond-studded collars, for junkyard dogs. There's room for all kinds of dogs, and there's food for all kind of dogs, and it never, never ends. The moment you decide to draw boundaries of who shouldn't and who should receive the blessings of Jesus, you reject what Jesus both taught and he practiced. The blessings of heaven are not going to run out. <laughs> they are unlimited. Ephesians 1-2 uh, talks about the saints saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Heaven's not going to run out of these blessings. And what are these blessings for? Uh, Genesis 12, we mentioned this in our groups this morning because the uh, Galatians, uh, it's, it's quoted. Uh, God talking to Abraham calling Abraham to a very special place and a very special role in all of history. And he says to Abraham in verse 3 of chapter 12, Genesis, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The reason you have been blessed by God 
The reason you've been ministered to by Jesus is so you can be a conduit of blessing to everybody else. You can be uh, that, that great big tube there <laughs> of just channeling the blessings of God to every kind of dog, every kind of puppy. So how are we supposed to be um, a restorative blessing to those around us? Well, we're supposed to be a restorative blessing without boundaries. Uh, this goes back to the essentials we talked about at the beginning of this year of how we relate to the world is these three things of integrity, goodness, and good news. Now, think about those things without boundaries. Integrity is living right in the midst of a broken world so people glory in God. You're called uh, so that people will see your good works, your good deeds. They'll see you living right, and they'll glorify God in heaven. Well, we can't decide which people we're going to live that way in front of. We live with integrity always. Never can we say in our minds or out loud, I don't have to be honest with those people because they're all cheats. I don't have to be kind to those people because they voted for the wrong president or they speak the wrong language or they cheer for the wrong football team or they call soccer football, whatever it might be. You still need to live with integrity in this world. And how about goodness? Um, alleviating human affliction like Jesus did with this woman's daughter and as he did com- continually throughout the book of Mark. We can never say, well, they brought it on themselves. They brought on their, their HIV. They brought on their poverty, their homelessness, their addiction. So they're on their own. They're dangerous. Their people wronged my people. Or they deserve it. Really? (laughs) Do we have to go back to the gospel that reminds us how uh, none of us deserve it? (laughs) We're all on a level playing field. And then finally in the area of sharing the good news, telling the good good story about Jesus and and how he came and, and, and died for us. I think sometimes we get in our minds these thoughts of, oh, that person will never believe because of their background, because of their education, because of their ethnicity, their nationality, their religion, whatever it might be, we say, well, they they won't even want to hear. They won't want to know. Instead, God's called us to live these things in front of everybody uh, all the time across any kind of boundary. So this week I was studying this passage about um, this woman from uh, Syria, Syrophoenician, living in Tyre, modern-day Lebanon. And while I was studying this passage, I got this Facebook post from, um, from a Faith Kids ministry from the church we used to uh, be at in San Diego, who is in Lebanon right now. And, uh, and they sent this. I don't know if you can read it. Probably not, so I'll read it for you. It says, um, Do you notice the glow on Jeremiah's face? He just shared the gospel with a Muslim Syrian refugee woman that prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. They are in Lebanon, Tyre, talking with a woman from Syria. And uh, did she want what Jesus had to offer? She did. She put her trust in Christ. I thought, man, how the Lord worked that out, that, that just popped in my mailbox right in the middle of this, is incredible. When we draw boundaries over who should and shouldn't be recipients of the blessings of Christ, 
We act like there's not enough to go around, (laughs) but there's truly enough to go around. We might doubt, we might discriminate, but Jesus, he just boldly crosses the boundaries to draw out the faith of those who we would maybe write off or those we would maybe uh, be skeptical about. So at this time, the disciples were probably feeling kind of uncomfortable with the conversation, but it was probably a relief to them that Jesus decided to do uh, this uh, casting out the demon from a distance. He says, you know, bam, just go home. It's been done. It's like when you uh, give to missions online. You just click. Oh, I guess it happened. You know, somebody was supported somewhere else. Um, So Jesus did that uh, also, kind of. But... Jesus continues to draw them uh, deeper into awkwardness. And we see our second lesson, picking up the story in verses 31. Verse 31. Oh, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, which is not remotely on the way to where they ultimately were headed, into the region of the Decapolis. It's another Gentile encounter, another miracle, and another lesson. This time the lesson is that Jesus crosses boundaries to draw near to those that we avoid. Apparently Jesus' reputation extended beyond uh, kosher borders, so to speak, because uh, verse 32, when he got there, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So it's kind of really reminiscent of early in Mark when uh, the friends of the paralytic brought him to uh, Jesus except now it's happening in Gentile territory. He goes way out of bounds outside the boundaries of Palestine, and he, uh, people know him there, and people seek him there. And I think by this time in Mark, we will anticipate that Jesus will probably heal this guy. We've started to expect this kind of thing of Jesus. But what we might not expect is how he heals him. This was not the remote, oh, go home and you'll find out, you know, your kid's been healed. No. Verse 33, he took him aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. This is all very earthy and personal, isn't it? And Jesus, looking up into heaven, he sighed this this groan, and he said, Ephrathah. It's Aramaic. I can't pronounce it well. But in English, it's be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. With with the woman, he did this remotely. But with this guy, he got up close and personal. Uh, Just notice some of these things. He took him aside from the crowd privately. He brought this, you know, kind of this personal encounter. And putting his fingers into his ears, and he spit, and he touched his tongue, all these things that would make any bystander uncomfortably uh, uncomfortable with how personal that encounter was. And that made me think of this amusing story um, that I'm not going to tell. No, just kidding. I'll tell it. So um, when I was just first a youth pastor, uh, we got together with some other churches um, at this coffee house to do a periodic um, like combined youth group thing. And uh, I was in charge of games and uh, we play this game that uh, is called Anatomy Shuffle, I think. It's so uh, how it works, and we'll play it now. Just kidding. Um, we get to two rings of people, and, uh, okay, so you, you partner up with somebody. You choose a partner. 
your partner's on the inside circle, you're on the outside circle. The circles go in opposite directions. Are you still following this? Kind of. And then, and then uh, the caller, I was a caller, I would uh, name two uh, anatomy parts, and you have to find your partner and connect to that. So it might be, um, you know, uh, knee to forehead, which is a good way to get a bloody nose, but you, you stop and you go find your partner quick, or it's, you know, el- elbow to foot, and, you know, you, you stop, scramble, and so you keep eliminating the ones who are slow. You're like, okay, you're out of there, and we had a prize for whoever is left. Well, it got down to where there's maybe three pairs of people. They just keep, you know, they just keep kind of tying, and it keeps going on, and so I had this... Um, kind of in my pocket, this, like, deal breaker, like, you know, no one will do this, so it'll end the game. And uh, so I called it, I said, um, tongue to ear. And, uh, well, one of those three couples was, was a couple. And, uh, and the way that they made this connection made us all really uncomfortable <laughs> with how personal it was. In fact, I kind of got kicked off of being, like, the game planner uh, <laughs> after that event. Uh, all that's just to say that these are very kind of personal encounters. Don't, don't read anything more into that. So um, my uncle, he was a Navy, I mean an Air Force, sorry, sorry uncle, an Air Force recruiter for a number of years, and for a while he was stationed in, in Georgia in, a, in an area where, um, where black-white tensions uh, tend to run more raw. And he worked with a guy, uh, his name was uh, Sergeant Lord, that, um, I don't know how else to say it, but the guy was a racist. And, uh, and he worked in this, uh, in this office with my uncle. Well, somebody came into the office and had left their wallet, and, um, and uh, Sergeant Lord found this, and trying to be a good guy, he kind of tracks down who it was and made some phone calls and, and found the person. And then, um, and then the person came to get their wallet, and, and she walks through uh, the door, and it's this really, uh, this is not an actual picture, but this is how I pictured her. She's really a, a bo- boisterous, uh, kind of larger African-American lady, and she's, she's just gushing over Sergeant Lord. You know, who found the wallet? Oh, it was Sergeant Lord. Oh, his name's Lord. That's a sign from God. This is such a blessing. And she says, you know, whoosh, squeezing him and embracing him. And my uncle is just, you know, like smiles inside, like, oh, this is fantastic. And uh, it, you know, he can't help but just melt because she's just gushing over, like, you know, you saved me all this. This is so amazing. And just, like, continually hugging, hugging this guy. And uh, there is something about an uh, up-close personal encounter <laughs> that breaks uh, barriers. And that was a very special moment for uh, the reunion of, of this lady and her wallet and her connection with Sergeant Lord. So it's one thing... Uh, to sponsor a child uh, remotely. Uh, we, that, that's, that's great. We saw how Jesus did remote ministry. It's another thing to hold uh, orphaned refugees in your arms, you know, hold them close to you and touch them. It's one thing to, um, maybe you have a, a, a neighbor who's a homosexual. It's one thing to kind of toss a gospel tract on their porch and run. It's, it's another thing when... Um, when her, her partner dies and you let her cry on your shoulder and you let those tears touch your skin, and it's a totally another thing. It's one thing to toss some money to a panhandler. It's another thing to, to shake their hand and share a meal. It's the, the smell of being unbathed, mixing with your meal, it's, that's, another, that's an entirely different thing. 
It's one thing for Corey Ten Boom to speak about forgiveness, and it's another for her to grasp the hand of the former concentration camp officer and, and hold on to that hand. A, a personal encounter. Jesus got so up close and personal with people who others would avoid. It seems like he did it just on purpose to make a point because he could just, you know, heal remotely. That's, he's plenty capable to do that. Jesus intermingled with untouchables at parties. He intermingled in their homes. He intermingled tears, sweat. In this case, there was saliva. Ultimately, the intermingling of blood. He's on the cross, two criminals, blood just pooling together. Jesus put himself right in the middle of those who needed him most. Jesus crosses boundaries to draw near to those that we might just avoid. Well, the story ends here, um, or chapter 7 ends, with with Jesus' fame spreading throughout the Gentile uh, region. Verse 37 Similar to around Galilee, it says, they were astonished beyond measure, saying, oh, he's done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So the fame of Jesus spreads even here. Jesus was happy to cross boundaries. Those on the other side were happy to receive him, but his disciples, (laughs) they were slow to learn. They needed to learn that Jesus crosses boundaries to teach his followers to do the same. In the the time that's left, let's look at the first uh, 10 verses of of chapter 8. We'll kind of skim this. But it starts out like this, verse 1 of chapter 8. In those days when again a great crowd gathered, we've learned that the great crowd gathered before, and again, they had nothing to eat. Oh, where has this happened before? And again, he called his disciples to him. Where have we seen this before? All this happened just a couple chapters earlier with the feeding of the 5,000. It's like, okay, here we go again. Uh, all the, the parallels of this account and the previous one, uh, it's the same kind of scenario. It's the same kind of language, the same kind of dialogue. Uh, real similar results, except for two things. One is, in this account, there's different uh, figures that Mark pays close attention to, different numbers, different number of loaves, different number of people, different number of baskets. So clearly, this is a different miracle than the first one. Some have looked at this and thought, oh, Mark, he's crazy. He just starts telling the same story again and making up numbers. No, he's telling a different story, intentionally structuring it the same way to show us that... uh, This is the same miracle with a different kind of people. Here he does the same thing in the middle of Gentile region. Jesus cares, but does he care about those people? The answer in verse 2, he says, I have what? Compassion on the crowd. Just watch me do this again. And uh, Jesus works wonders, but does he work them for those people? Uh, Verse 8, the disciples are saying, uh, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? You would think they know how that could happen because it just happened. But they're thinking, is he really going to do this here? (laughs) With with these people? Uh, Yeah, he's going to do it just like he did before. Mark shows the slowness of the disciples to understand just how far Jesus will go. 
And it speaks volumes to all the generations of us who follow Jesus. Are we going to also be slow <laughs> to, uh, to believe where Jesus will go and where he will take us? How, how far will Jesus go to restore people? Uh, he'll go to the cross. His disciples, we see in Mark, were real slow to understand that. He'll say, okay, guys, I'm, I'm going to die. Um, and I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And they just kind of stared and scratched their head and like, ah, I don't get it. Because uh, they didn't know how far Jesus would go to restore people to himself. How far would he go? Well, he crosses every kind of geopolitical, social, racial boundary. And he wants his followers to do the same. So we see throughout the book of Mark, they kind of catch on. And especially toward the end, they really get it. And then Jesus, as if to say, if you haven't gotten it so far, uh, here's my final words to you. Listen real, real closely. The end of Mark, last chapter, he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Quite literally, to every uh, creature, every uh, created being, you, you might say. So, when a group of people or an individual person for whatever history is there or whatever it might be uh, causes this kind of knee-jerk uh, reaction um, of doubt, we need to instead respond with a dialogue that draws out faith. Because there's plenty to go around. There's plenty of the blessings of Jesus to go around. Uh, interesting, connecting this first miracle and this last miracle, the, um, the Syrophoenician woman says, well, don't the little doggies on the table at least get a few crumbs? Can we have just a little bit of Jesus, you know, goodness, kind of scattered here? Um, Jesus responds here in this third miracle with crumbs. How about baskets and baskets and baskets and baskets and baskets for you? That's what he did in this miracle. He just divided the loaves, divided the fishes, and kept feeding and feeding and feeding. So Jesus went on this excursion into Gentile territory. He took his reluctant disciples with him like he likes to take us. And we need to learn that to follow Jesus, we need to follow him across boundaries, every kind of boundary. So, so again, when you think of this person or this group and you have this knee-jerk reaction of doubt, oh, they'll never believe Instead, engage to draw out their faith. When you think of this person or this group of people, their knee-jerk response is, oh, i got to avoid them, or, oh, I don't want to you know, be with them. I, don't, I distrust them. Instead, draw real close like Jesus did, close enough to touch. So just kind of in inclusion, think of someone that's within your reach but beyond your comfort zone and follow Jesus out of your comfort zone. <laughs> I, I don't know what that looks like for you. It could be a lot of different things, but there's people in your, in your world that are uh, beyond your comfort zone for whatever reason, um, a previous conflict, um, just uh, different opinions on things or different views or whatever. Um, Jesus invites you to go out of your comfort zone with the good news about Jesus, to get up close and personal uh, to draw out faith instead of being filled with doubt. So let's, uh, let's join him. <laughs> let's go wherever he, he takes us. And I think we better 
would her pause and pray and ask for his, his help. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for going as far as it uh, was required to, to reach us. <laughs> Coming uh, e- even here and going all the way to the cross for, for our sake, for our salvation. And Lord, would we have that same kind of attitude where we would do whatever it takes. We'd cross whatever boundary, whatever uh, border, whatever side of the street or across the river, or whatever it might be to bring your love, your goodness, and your good news to those who desperately need it. Lord, help us to love fully like you do. And we certainly need your help to do this, and so we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.